Right, wonderful. Well, as Brendan's alluded to, and Riley, next week is our Go Forward Fund. So why don't you just go ahead and pull these off your chair and just wave them at me a minute so I know they're in your hands. Because I don't want anybody saying, oh, I would have give, but I didn't have a form. Now I know you've got a form. I can see you. All right, let's just open these up a minute because I just want to talk you through what we're going to be doing because next week's going to be a difficult time during the morning to actually start filling them in. That's not going to go well for us. This year we have three options in our Go Forward Fund. Um, it's all under the banner of building locally and helping internationally. And you'll notice on the front is these ships because as I talked about the church meeting, I don't want us to think of ourselves as some cruise liner as if we're just sorted and it's all about us and we're just here to enjoy the fruits. We're on mission together. We're these boats. We're going out to plant churches and do things for Jesus. And so on the inside, building locally, that's going to be for our futures, future leaders fund. It's a lovely picture of Riley there. We had to put Maddie and the kids in it as well to just to improve um, the photo. Um, and then we've got Ben there. Look at him. It's like a scene out of Hillsong, that one. I don't know where that one was taken, but um, it's just beautiful. And so we want to give a fund to, to raise and influence and help future leaders in our local church. You know, we want to plant churches, as you know, um, and we don't just want it. We're serious about doing it. We're actively seeking to plan now very thoroughly to get on with the mission of planting churches. But the only way we can do that is by raising leaders up. And so in terms of our Building Locally Future Leaders Fund, and the vast majority of what you give to that will be to send Riley to the Pastors College, which we're excited about, which we want to do. Um, and if we have anything left over, we want to Im- you know, invest in other leaders beyond Riley. And last year we sent Ben, for example, to one of the worship conferences, and we'd really love some funds to be able to do that, because we just can't afford that out of our own church funds. But if we have money set aside, when these opportunities come up, and we can invest in men to really train them for future ministries. That's building locally. And then there's helping internationally. There's international care ministries, as we've heard about this morning. And I've been able to see in the Philippines uh, firsthand some of that work, and it is outstanding. Um, And also Sovereign Grace Church Global Missions. And that picture there that's on there of the Filipinos, I took that. We actually had dinner in a house that was at the end of the road. And then we were actually going out to, uh, to have a little church service and it was great because they just all started grabbing guitars. I didn't even know they played anything. So they're grabbing Bibles and guitars and we're walking along the streets singing. I'm like, this is out of this world. It's great. What you couldn't see were the amount of stray dogs that were running around there. And I'm just like, are they going to bite me or anything? It was just really awkward. I'm going to take shin pads with me next time just in case. Um, but it was a really neat time. And Sovereign Grace wants to plant churches, not just in Australia, but across the globe. And so when we are able to give towards that mission, um, churches are planted and cared for. It's actually why we are here. Because other people in Sovereign Grace around the world gave through mission funds like these and we were able to plant Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney off the back of that. So I think as recipients of that we always want to have a passion for that. Amen? Because we're the recipients of that. And then there's a fourth category if you look on the back as you're filling it in. There's Future Leaders Fund, ICM, SGC, Global Missions and then As and Where Needed Most. You know, that's for people like me, to be honest, that are quite happy just to be like, look, wherever it's needed most, whether that be in sending Riley or ICM or Sovereign Grace Churches, I just want to commit to giving X amount of dollars. 
And then I'm happy for the pastoral team and leadership team to work out exactly how that's going to get split down. So if that's you, if you're like, look, I just want to give towards this and I don't want to have $250,000 for Riley and $3 for ICM, and just pop your figure in there and we'll actually work on that as a leadership team for you and then spread it all out. Please come ready next week with these. Don't be filling these in in the worship service trying to figure out what you're going to do. Come prepared. And in a desire to prepare you, I want to speak today on giving... So this message is called Giving and the Dearest Place on Earth. And each and every time before we take up a Go Forward Fund, I want to ensure that we are preaching on giving because we need to prepare our hearts, don't we? That's why we have no surprise offerings at Sovereign Grace Church. I want us to be prepared by God's word. I want us to be washed with God's word so that we can stand before him and prepare our hearts to give to him. So I'm going to pray and then we'll... Delve into God's word together. Well, Lord, we do pray in advance for our Go Forward Fund next week. Oh, Lord, would you quicken our hearts? Lord, would we be freshly aware that everything we have is ultimately yours? We're just stewards of it. Oh, Lord, would you quicken our hearts then this morning to be washed by your word? Lord, did you help us to stand against the evil one? Would you help us to stand against our culture and our own indwelling sin and have eyes to see what you say in your word? And today, would we pay attention to what we hear, Lord? Help us by your grace. Amen. You know, I just want you to cast your minds back for a moment to where we finished in the Gospel of Mark at the back end of last year. Because I think in the Gospel of Mark, in chapters 12 and 14, we have two of the most beautiful acts of extravagant devotion that we see anywhere in God's Word, don't we? So Mark chapter 12, we see the poor widow at the temple treasury. This old lady that comes to the temple treasury. They've all been queuing up, all these people, with their pomp and circumstance. Many people would have been walking in with servants walking behind them with their treasure boxes. What would have been traditional at this time is that the registrar of the treasury would have actually shouted out to the crowd how much that individual was giving. That's what they wanted. They wanted to stand there and go, yes, yes, that's me, 350 denarii, you know. That's what they wanted to do. And Jesus is sitting opposite the treasury And he sees all them and he is grieved by all of them. But then this little old lady walks along who's clearly a widow. Would have been clear by all that she had on in her dress. And she comes with her two denarii, her two mites, sorry. The smallest coins that there were at that time. Just like a couple of cents in effect. And she gives it all into the temple treasury. Everything she has. And it's at that point that Jesus says, hey, just he's gathering them around. Because he wants them to see that that, that is beautiful. Not all these guys giving in thousands. But that poor widow that gave in everything she had. He's been teaching them all along what it really means to follow him and trust him and love him and respond to him with extravagant devotion. And that widow in that moment was a perfect case study of what that looks like. As he calls his disciples around to show them. And then in Mark chapter 14... We see Jesus anointed at Bethany. Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper. A party is going on. It is being held in his his honor. Martha, the quintessential servant, is there serving and catering for the event. Lazarus is there with a few interesting jokes about what it was like to die just previously. 
And then Mary comes in with an alabaster jar of perfume that would have been worth $50,000. And everybody stops. And everybody's looking at Mary, this sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she goes to Jesus and she breaks open this jar over him and she anoints his head with it. And then starts wiping this ointment, this perfume into his feet. All conversation in that moment would have stopped in the room as this lady offers extravagant devotion to the Lord. And it says in in Mark chapter 14 that the disciples at this point were indignant with her. They scolded her. They spoke harshly with her. In effect, they were saying, What are you doing? What a waste! This could have been used. No doubt they were probably thinking, This could have been used for us. But they didn't like to say that. This could have been used for the poor. And yet Jesus looks them in the eye and says, Listen, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. So Mark chapter 12, as Jesus is overseeing this poor widow in the temple treasury, he sees what she's doing and delights. Kent Hughes says, The Passover crowd had been ooing and ahhing over the magnificence of the rich, and yet Jesus had remained unmoved. That when the widow passed by and gave, though he sat still, he was inwardly on his feet, clapping. For she was a rare flower in a desert of genuine devotion, and her beauty made his heart rejoice. Isn't that beautiful? That widow came and gave. He sat down, but inwardly he is clapping, because she made his heart rejoice. And likewise in Mark chapter 14, When Jesus is anointed by Mary, Kent Hughes says, For this was an intensely fervent expression of devotion, as fervent as found anywhere in all of sacred scripture. And so it was. A $50,000 bottle of perfume, broken and put over the Savior's head in extravagant devotion to him because she loves him and she trusts him. And to her, the most dear and expensive and precious thing in that room in that moment is not the ointment. It's Jesus. And so it's worth it. He's worthy of it all. Now for us as Christians... I think when we come into contact with those two ladies, I think for some of us, we can be stirred and encouraged and truly inspired by those ladies, can't we? As we examine their lives, we can come away and we're just aware, man, that's so encouraging. It's stirring for me. Lord, help me to be like them. Help me to give an extravagant devotion to you like them. Lord, help me to be like them. And yet the truth is, I think for others of us, We come into contact with those two ladies in Mark 12 and 14 and we don't feel stirred or inspired or exhorted. We feel overwhelmed and numbed and grieved with a sense of loss. Grieved that, to be quite frank, we don't give like them. We don't practice what we preach like they do. We don't give extravagant, in extravagant devotion like them. And if truth be known, we don't just not practice it. We don't desire to either. Our hearts are far from the Lord on that. 
And so we see them and we're not inspired by them. Instead, we're grieved by them as we realize, I don't feel like that. I, I wouldn't want to give like that. Maybe one time we did. Maybe early on in our Christian life. Man, we were just all in. It's all for Jesus. But we look at that now with past tense. And we don't feel like any, that any longer. Well, my friends, the question I want to answer then this morning, the question that I feel the Lord put on my heart for us today is simply this then. What do we do when we realize that giving an extravagant devotion really isn't the desire of our hearts at all? What do we do? What do you do? What do I do? when we genuinely realize that giving an extravagant devotion really isn't the desire of our hearts at all. What do we do? How do we go about it in that moment of helping our hearts to want to give like those ladies gave? Now listen, for me as a pastor, this topic is particularly difficult, it is particularly awkward, and it is, I think, slightly taboo. Now, the taboo item, well, that eggs me on. But the difficult and awkward side of things, it's tricky. Because obviously I get paid by this church. And so you imagine preaching to a group of people, uh, encouraging them to give, and knowing, I get paid by you. Well, guess what? Yes, that's a little difficult and awkward. And so just to confirm here, particularly in the sake of the guests, I'm not on commission in this local church, okay? It doesn't increase as your giving increases, decreases, it doesn't. So, oh my gosh, I better talk about it this week because the giving's getting low. I just get paid, okay? My, my, my income is not affected by the Go Forward Fund in, in any way. So I don't want you to anticipate nor feel that he seems to be after something. For me personally, I'm not after anything. And likewise, I do think it is a taboo topic because giving is profoundly private, isn't it? I mean, often people are happy to talk about everything. So tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about your Bible. Tell me about your marriage. Tell, you, tell me about how you love with Jesus. Oh, tell me how much you give. What? You know, that tends to be the one that people are like, how dare you? It is a particularly private thing. And if you think it's bad in Australia, you want to be in England. People don't even talk about how much they earn. That would be classed as completely not right. Giving is classed as a completely private matter. So for me as a pastor, this topic is difficult. It is awkward. There is a level of taboo with it. But here is why I do preach it. I preach it because for Jesus, as the saviour of the world, this topic isn't difficult or awkward or taboo at all. And as I seek to represent him to you, I have to face the fact that to Jesus, this topic wasn't just difficult and awkward or taboo. No, it was preached because it was profoundly important. So if it's important to him, as I seek to represent him, it has to become important to me. See, 11 out of the 39 times that Jesus preaches a parable, guess what? He's talking about money. What that would mean in Sovereign Grace Church is that once a month we start preaching on giving if we represented the parables. That's how dear to Jesus' heart 
giving and finances were. One in seven verses in the Gospel of Luke have something to do with money. One in seven. He talks about it an awful lot. Over 800 times in the Bible, we say references to money and giving and our finances. Jesus talks more about money in the Bible than he does heaven and hell combined. And the reason for that, don't, don't, don't misunderstand. The reason for that is not because Jesus is a short of a few pennies and really needs you to give to help him out. All right? He's not. Psalm 50, verse 10, we read, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world and all its fullness are mine. God owns everything. He's not worried about being short of a few pennies. But the Savior of the world understands because he made us that our monies and our hearts are intrinsically linked. And because he loves us and he wants our hearts, he therefore has to talk about our monies because they go together. They're like twins. And so, what do we do then when we realize that giving and extravagant devotion really isn't the desire of our hearts. Listen, I, I believe that the Lord wants to particularly minister to people today that are finding that that is true for them. The desire of their hearts are empty. They're struggling in their giving. So they're not inspired by chapter 12 or chapter 14 of Mark. They're grieved by it and upset by it and they can't wait for this message to finish. But I believe God wants to minister to you. And I believe he wants to talk to us all but particularly for those where giving and extravagant devotion is a difficult desire. So what do you do? Well, there's three things. Three things that I believe we're called to do when our hearts are not desiring to give an extravagant devotion to the Lord. Three things. Number one. Number one, we need to wash our minds with the word. We need to wash our minds with this. With the Bible. And if we don't desire to give, we have to start there. You see, it can be so tempting to think of and embrace this world as home, can't it? Do you find that? Do you ever find that? Because I submit to you, like a fish in water, we are being bombarded by the world day in, day out of our lives to take this as our home, as it. And so we need to embrace it. Get the best job you possibly can to get the best house you possibly can, to go on the best holidays that you possibly can. Take every opportunity that you can, both for you and your kids. Why? Because this is it. And you're worth it. It's what our world bombards to us all the time. Live for the now, live for the max. If you watch our adverts carefully, they're the messages nearly all the time. You're worth it. You need this. If you are going to be satisfied in your life, you need that scale of your shower. I mean, just, just every time you see an advert, it's manipulating your emotions that you need this. And the subplot is you need this because this is everything. Well, you see is what you get. This is your home. And to live for the now, because it is all about now. 
taking us home. Be here. Live for the max. And yet the Bible tells us that the reality and the truth of the matter is for us as Christians, this is not our home at all. So Philippians 3 verse 20, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven. (laughs) Do you hear that? Are you Australian? Yes, second class. Your citizenship is in heaven, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saved us, the one who by His grace has forgiven us and adopted us and assured that heaven is our home. The Hebrews writer says that we are mere pilgrims here, strangers, aliens. Why? Because we're citizens of a better country, a heavenly one. Do you hear those things? The world is constantly trying to convince us, take this as home, it's all about the now. But Paul and the gospel writers are saying, it's not about now at all. You're strangers here, aliens here, pilgrims here, because your citizenship is that of a better country, a heavenly country to come. For all those who know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour. My, we need to be washed with the word with this stuff, do we not? Because we get bombarded with stories otherwise in our world day in and day out. Verses then like Proverbs 23 verse 5. I love this. We need to be washed by this. It made me laugh as I read it this week. I laughed out loud at the Bible. It says this, Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Don't you love that? See, the next time in your life you desperately crave that new TV, you just think, I need this. My life won't be the same without a TV or a mobile phone. That's a classic, isn't it? iPhone, bring out the latest one. I just need an iPhone 7. I mean, it's just, my, my iPhone 6, I mean, I wanted that, but, but now there's a 7. You know, and it's got like, it's got like ear pods. It's got ear pods. They haven't even got like, Wires, you know? And then you get your iPod 7 and it's great. It's the best thing you've ever wanted until, until the iPhone 8 comes out, you know? And then you're like, what is wrong with this thing? I need an iPhone 8. One of the things that the Bible helps us with is that is by imagining that, listen, these things that we crave, imagine them sprouting wings and flying because that's what they're going to do. They're just things, they're just stuff that we think we desperately need, but it helps if, if we imagine that little iPhone sprouting wings and flying away. Because that's actually what they're going to do. They won't satisfy us in the way we think they will. They're just not worth it. Psalm 23 verse 5 goes on to say it this way, I love it. It says, Do not be overawed when a man grows rich and when the splendor of his house increases. Why? Well... But he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Oh, my friends, we need to be reminded by this, don't we? We need to be washed in the word with this stuff. You never see a hearse pulling a trailer full of the person's stuff, do you? You never see it. You never see him going to the local Caltex on the way to their death just so they can whack all their stuff in the trailer and they can pull it along behind them. Why? Because you can't take it with you. All that stuff you've been desperate for all your life, it's a total waste of time when you're lying in that coffin and you're dying 
or hopefully if you're in the coffin, dead. <laughs> and if I'm your pastor in that moment, I will check on your behalf. Because that's the type of servant I am. <laughs> now, John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest persons ever to live, when he died, they interviewed his accountant and they said, Oh, how much did he leave? Because no one knew quite how much he was worth. And so they're all interviewing and saying, How much did Mr. Rockefeller leave? Tell us, how much was it? And he said, Oh, I'll tell you. He left all of it. And that was his point. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are on this earth. When you go, how much do you leave? All of it. All of it's gone. You've gone, and that remains. See, it can be so tempting, can't it, to work all our lives for that thing that we've got to have. Well, what if you die a week after that thing that you've got to have? Will it have been worth it? The psalmist says no. So do not be overroared when a man grows rich and when the splendor of his house increases. Why? Because he will take nothing with him. Nothing at all. Then Jesus gets involved in Matthew 6, verse 19. I love it. We need to be washed with this. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that wonderful? It's so wonderfully helpful. Jesus himself is helping us see, listen, you might assume that when you get into heaven, it's going to be a one-size-fits-all. Well, it's not. Heaven is not like a kid's party, okay? It's not like you tag along, and then you're welcome at the door, and then your guest just says, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for coming. And then as you hang around, they take out the party pack, and they give it to you, and you notice that, Everybody's got the same party pack. Everybody received the same words and everybody receives the same party pack. Now, according to Jesus, that's not the case at all. Different people receive different things. Different people receive different crowns. And so his whole point is do not then, do not. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't do that. Why? Because here moth and rust destroy them and thieves break in and steal. And if you give it all here, you will not be able to enjoy it there. So, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where rust does not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. His whole point is, listen, don't give everything here. What a waste that would be. Give it here. And in doing so, invest there. Do you want to enjoy your riches for 20, 30, 40 years of your life here? Or do you want to enjoy them for millenniums there? That's what he's talking about. What do you want to be about? What do you want to enjoy there? Some people like to say, you know what? Oh, I just could never give knowing that he would reward me. I think that's beautiful. But Jesus says you can. In fact, Jesus called you to. Don't store up your treasures here. Store them up there. That's what he's saying, inviting us to do it. That's why Jim Elliot, the wonderful missionary, said, 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do you get that? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. Why can't he not keep it? Because you can't take anything with you. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. Why? To gain what he cannot lose. He stored up for himself treasures in heaven. That's no fool. That's a wise man. The fool is the one who never truly extravagantly gives to the Lord. Why? Because they're giving to themselves here. Storing up for themselves treasures here. Allowing it all to be here. You know, giving gives us an opportunity to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I love what Jesus talks about at that last verse in Matthew 6.21. How giving gives us an opportunity to point our hearts to things above. And Jesus says it this way. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, your heart in the Bible is used to describe the real you. And if you see the word heart in the Bible, it's talking about the real you, the inner self. Your soul, your spirit, your mind, your emotions, your passions, and so forth. And the Bible's always clear. Listen, where your treasure is, there is your heart. So where your treasure is, there is the real you. So if you want to know what the real you is really about, the real you, well, examine your bank book for the last year and look at where your money's gone. Jesus is saying, yeah, where your treasure is, that's the real you. Whatever you're spending it on, that is the real you. That's what you're actually about. That's what your passions actually are. That's what the seed of your emotions actually are. That is what you actually believe will make you profoundly happy. And his emphasis then is, listen, don't store for yourselves treasures here. Store them up there. Why? Because where your treasure is there is your heart. If you want your heart to go to the heavenly realms, if you want your heart to be involved in missions, if you want your heart to be looking forward to the heavenly realms that you will go and enjoy for all ever, his whole point is, well, make sure your treasures then go there as well. Because if your treasures are all here, your heart will be here. But if your treasures are pointed to above, your heart will go there. I remember when I was a kid, and uh, my dad bought some shares. I didn't even know what shares were. I was real young. And uh, he bought some shares. And back in those days, the only way you could check how much your shares were worth was on BBC2, on CFAX. Um, and, and it would just be this scrolling thing all the time. So you'd have to like, go through 16 pages and tell you how much they're worth. But all I remember as a kid, we never had this thing on when my dad didn't have any shares. But when he got shares, this CFAX was on all the time. Because he wanted to see how much they were worth and what's happening with it. You know, sometimes I think the reason why people aren't passionate about heaven and they're not passionate about the church, the dearest place on earth, is because they're just not invested in it. And they wonder then why their heart isn't in it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, quote Jesus himself. My friends, we need to be washed with the word on all these things, don't we? We need it to wash our hearts. Because the world screams at us that don't do this, it's all about now. And yet Jesus says, no it's not. 
You're not citizens here. You're citizens there. So point your treasures to things above. Let your hearts be about things above. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And my friends, when we then give, the Bible's clear that we're able to, we have the privilege of joining the opportunity to make a difference in gospel mission. I mean, the church, as we've seen, really is the dearest place on earth, isn't it? It's a temple. It's a place where people can come and encounter God in all his glory. It's a body. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our communities. It's a family where we really are brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And it's a bride. A bride that he gave his life for. Well, in the Old Testament then, people gave a tenth. They gave a tithe to the temple. Because the temple would be the place that it was all about during that time. And so people would tithe and give to the temple, and it would be used for the building and maintenance of the temple, the support of the temple, servants and the priests and the Levites, and to gospel mission. Well, then in the New Testament, the dearest place on earth, the church replaces the temple, doesn't it? And so people switch from giving to the Old Testament temple to the local churches. They started to tithe to the churches to support the church itself, the church's leaders, to care for the needs of the poor, and to support the advancement of gospel mission. Well, all those people of old that we read about in this word, they've all gone. And now we're on. The heavenly realms is looking on to work out, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do now? What do you really believe? Is the church really the dearest place on earth to you? Well, we'll see. Because where your treasure is, there is your heart. We have an incredible opportunity to use our treasures for the building up of the local church, to build a family that actually, if you pay attention, will last for all eternity. Have you thought about that? To help build a family that will last forever, worshipping around the throne of God. And in giving, we also have the opportunity to do something that God loves. I love that. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, For God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> The one who at the right time sent forth his son for us. The one who at the right time freely came for us on the greatest rescue mission of a time and then on the cross bought us at a price. We have a chance through our giving to do something that God himself looks on at and says, you know what? I love that. I love it. My friends, we need to be washed with the word then, don't we? So if you don't desire to give extravagantly to the Lord, then I want to encourage you, start right here. Your mind needs to be reprogrammed to truth. Jesus himself says, sanctify us with the truth. Your word is truth. We need to be washed clean with this. We need to examine it ourselves before that. But that's not all we need to do. Number two. Having washed our minds with the words, number two, we need to prepare our hearts and not just listen to them. And oh, how true that is. I mean, there is little doubt that in the Bible, giving affords us some wonderful opportunities before the Lord. It does. Giving gives us the opportunity to store our treasures above. It gives our hearts an opportunity to be pointed to above gives us the opportunity to play a part in gospel mission. It gives us the opportunity to do something that God loves. And yet there is also little doubt that 
giving can so often be really hard, can't it? You ever found that? Even in light of all that I've just said, still, when it comes to seeing our bank account, ah, it can be a wrestle. Well, it is for me anyway. It can be difficult. There can be challenges that we face, and there's reasons for that. See, first and primarily, the reason why giving is so hard is because we live in a world and in a culture that disregards everything I've just said. That says, this is it. You've got to be here. This is what it's all about. If you want to be happy, join in with us. Because this is the only thing that will make you happy. We don't need to be duped by the world. We need to understand that that's, we're like a fish in the ocean of the world. We are immersed in it all the time. And so that does make it hard in our giving. Because we feel like we're crazy for a start sometimes. Another factor is the fact that the Satan and his evil forces are real. Do you think Satan wants you to give? I can assure you he doesn't. He hates the thought of you giving. He knows the difference it will make in your life. He knows the difference it will make in the dearest place on earth. He doesn't want you to give at all. And so the Bible calls us to stand firm against the devil's schemes. And yet so often we're completely unaware of his schemes. The world constantly bombards us that giving is a waste of time. The evil one constantly bombards us that giving is stupid. If you want to be happy, live for the now. But also we have a reality and presence of indwelling sin in our hearts, don't we? An enemy within. And my friends, I think we need to be wise to our own hearts when it comes to giving. You see, when we sit across the tables from our hearts, engaging on the topic of giving, we need to realize... That the individual known as our heart sitting across the table from us is not some sweet little old grandmother, okay? That's not who you're talking to. When you're engaging on the topic of giving, there's not some sweet little old grandmother knowing you're to your heart saying to you, Oh, go forward fund. Yes! I've been looking forward to this all year! You could give more than you did last year. Oh, imagine the joy. No, that's not who you're sitting across the table from. When it comes to go forward time... Every year, the person you're sitting across the table from is Vinny, the used car salesman. Okay, that's your heart. That's who's in there. And every time, Vinny's got a few concerns for you. In fact, he's got a few questions to ask you. And so each and every year as you pull this out and you read it through and you think, oh, the pictures are nice, Vinny's already got a few things he wants to chat to you about. For a start, he's got budgetary concerns. I mean, are you completely unaware of how little you have? All the things that you've already subscribed to, all the things that you have in your home, all the commitments you've already made? Vinny has a few thoughts for you on that. And he also has a few sacrificial concerns for you as well. Because if you give extravagantly like this widow or Mary in chapter 14 of Mark, well, you're never going to be happy, are you? Because you're not going to have some of the things you need in Sydney to be happy. He has some budgetary concerns for you. He has some sacrificial concerns. And then, very subtly, he has some comparison concerns for you. I mean, why should you give extravagantly when the person sitting near you earns ten times what you earn? Let them give extravagantly. 
Right now, you've just got to make it work, right? You've just got to pay the bills and try the best you can. And usually it's about now that Vinny has a few timing concerns for you because you're young. You know, you can get to giving when you're older. You know, when you're older, where your treasure is there is where goes your heart. But when you're young, you're just trying to make it work. You're just trying to get in the housing market. You're doing what you can to make ends meet. So Vinny has some concerns. He has budgetary concerns. He has sacrificial concerns. He has comparison concerns. He has timing concerns. He has comfort concerns. That if you really give an extravagant devotion, you are going to be one happy guy. It's going to be bad for you. You'll probably cry yourself to sleep at night, probably on the floor. You'll probably be homeless. That's Vinny. You're not sitting to this grandmother that says, Oh, just stretch your faith and give more. No, Vinny has some concerns to share with you. And that's why we must prepare our hearts in advance and not just listen to them. Our heart's initial response will very rarely be, you know what, just sacrifice. It'll be worth it. It's, are you crazy? How on earth would you afford that? What are you going to do? You'll never manage. My friends, that's why we need to prepare our hearts in advance and not just listen to them. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, each man should give as he has decided in his heart to give. Paul has already told that church um, a year before and informed them about the need to take up a special offering, a go-forward fund in effect for the Jerusalem church, to care for them, to love them. They were being persecuted, so they needed finances. And the Corinthian church had already agreed that, yeah, you know, we'll take up an offering for this church. And so Paul writes to them. He wants to give them notice. But the whole point is, He talks to them in chapter 8 about the Macedonian church who are really poor. They're like a Filipino church in effect. They have no money. And he's saying, listen, this Filipino church, they gave not only according to their means but beyond their means. He's encouraging them in their giving. Listen, Corinth, you have so far much more than them. So give generously to the Lord. Check out their example. But then in chapter 9, he wants to make it clear to them, listen, each man should give then as he has decided in his heart to give. Because he knows your heart is Vinny the used car salesman. And I don't just want to rock up and have you then give reluctantly or under compulsion. I want you to prepare your hearts in advance. So why sovereign grace we don't have any surprise offerings. Surprise! We need to raise 100,000. See what we can do? Okay, let's give out. Because then we just give out of guilt or compulsion. We have no idea what we're doing. Now, like Paul's telling us, we need to prepare our hearts in advance. See, if we're struggling in our giving before the Lord, we're struggling in our desire to give, we first need to wash our minds with the Word. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds when it comes to what giving really is before the Lord. And then we need to prepare our hearts in advance, aware of who they really are. We need to wash them with the word as well and speak truth to them. And then finally, here's what else we need to do. Number three, we need to embrace our faith in the adventure that giving really is. See, biblically speaking, there's absolutely no doubt that we can trust God in our giving. No doubt at all. Luke chapter 12 then says it this way. It says, therefore, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do such a smaller thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, then how much more will he clothe you? It's clear in the Bible we can trust the Lord. We can incorporate our lives into him as we seek to faithfully give to him that we can trust him. We read the same in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. The Jewish nation at the time are struggling in their giving. They are struggling in their tithing. This is what Jesus says. This is what God says to them in Malachi chapter 3. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Isn't that wonderful? God himself is saying, listen, I know you're struggling to trust me. I sense that from you. Test me in this. It's the only time ever God calls us to test it. He's basically saying, I dare you. And you will see what I do to you. You will see how I care for you. You will see how I will bless you in your lives. So test me in this. See, my friends, when it comes to giving, we need to be washed with the word. And we need to adjust in our hearts. But the reality is, as your pastor, teaching then only goes so far. We have to embrace faith and work out then for each and every one of us, where are we at in this story? It always reminds me of Blondin, as I talked to you about before. Blondin was a famous tightrope walker. And on one occasion, he puts a tightrope across Niagara Falls. True story. You can, you can see pictures of it. And he puts this tightrope across Niagara Falls and he, he walks over Niagara Falls. Everybody is watching. The Americans are there, the Canadians are there. Everybody is like, he is going to die. He's a lunatic. So he walks across this tightrope and he gets to the other side. Everybody's clapping and cheering. And he said, well now, for my next trick, I'm going to take this wheelbarrow over with a bag of potatoes in it. And everybody's like, this is amazing. They're clapping and they're cheering. So over he goes with his wheelbarrow with a bag of potatoes in it. And he gets to the other side and they're clapping, they're cheering. Blondin, you're amazing. And he says, who believes? Who believes that if I take this bag of potatoes out and put a person in it, that I can go back one more time with a person in the wheelbarrow? And everybody in the crowd is, yes, we totally think you can do it. We, we, we believe in you. At which point he says, Great. Who's in? And no one wants in. Everybody just said, yes, you can do it. We believe in you. But no one wants in. You know, I think as Christians, I think we can do that with God as well. We even teach our kids it. God, you're amazing. You prepare for all. You, you, can, you can prepare for all our needs. You're the one that spends the galaxies. 
You're the one who numbers the hairs on our head. Lord, it says in your word that you own all things and we can trust you. Kids, we can trust God. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. Lord, I can believe you can do anything. Okay, well, give then to me an extravagant devotion. Ah. Well, thanks for coming. Do we not do the same? My friends, if we're struggling in our desire to give, we must wash our minds with the word, speak truth to ourselves. And we must adjust our hearts, preparing them and not just listen to them, but then we must embrace our faith in the adventure that giving really is. And I can't teach you that. That's your journey. I dare you to take it. You won't regret it. But you have to take it for yourself. It's between you and the Lord. Do you trust him? Your giving will answer that question. You know, when we come into contact with these two ladies in Mark chapter 12 and Mark chapter 14, for some of us we can be inspired and encouraged. For others of us, they're a challenge. They're a difficulty. But if you're struggling in your giving, in particular in your desire to give an extravagant devotion like them, follow these steps. Wash your mind with the word. Speak to your hearts. Prepare them, even this week, in advance to next week, coming to give. And then embrace our faith in the adventure of giving. And together then, in our hearts, would we give. And may this always then be the dearest place on earth to us. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us in your word that our hearts and our money are two inseparable things. Lord, did you help us then to soberly assess what we do with our money so that we can inform our hearts as to where they're at? Lord, did you help us then to grow in faith towards you, to cry out to you where we need to for help in this? But Lord, I thank you that you can be trusted. We can get in the wheelbarrow. And when we are there, it is in that moment that we experience in a way that makes the gospel life so adventurous. Lord, one of the main reasons sometimes where we get so bored with Christianity is quite simply we're not in the wheelbarrow of Christianity. It's just safe. And it's boring. And if you died, we'd still be fine. But when we're in that wheelbarrow, oh Lord, we need you. Because we're aware if you're not holding on to us, we're falling in. If you're not strengthening our weak bones, we won't make it. And yet when we go adventurous with you, like your disciples did, oh Lord, we live then in pure delight of you. Because where our treasure is, there is our heart. Lord, would we pay attention to what we hear? And would we be blessed in our doing? And would the money then be used for your glory, Lord? Amen.